Welcome to Committing Faith in Public. This is the podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith doing good work in public. Our guests tell stories of their work of weaving a more just, kind, and diversity-inclusive society. Our starting place for stories is Oklahoma because that is where we live and because many people, both in Oklahoma and beyond, are surprised when they learn that interreligious-friendly, pro-democracy, diversity-welcoming, public-good-oriented religion even exists in Oklahoma. So through this podcast, we're spreading good news and encouraging you in your faith and public life work. I'm Gary paluso Verden, President Emeritus at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and working on the Religion and Public Life Initiative for the seminary. I'm at All Souls Unitarian Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. When folks from around the country think about religion in Tulsa, they are likely to think about Oral Roberts University, Victory Christian, or Rhema Bible. But many don't know about All Souls, which is the largest Unitarian church in the Unitarian Universalist Association and a potent progressive spiritual force in public life in Northeast Oklahoma. A recent documentary movie called American Heretics, The Politics of the Gospel featured All Souls prominently We're going to talk about that movie and All Souls today with two clergy leaders from All Souls. The Reverend Marlon Lavenhar is the senior pastor, and Bishop Carlton Pearson is an affiliate minister. Marlon has been at All Souls since 2000 and is a well-known leader in the religious and civic communities around here, especially in matters involving racism. Some of you may know Bishop Pearson uh, Carlton from many other involvements, ministries, publications, music awards. The movie Come Sunday, available on Netflix, tells the story about his ministry before coming to All Souls, including his exile, if that's one of the appropriate words to use, from his religious home and religious family when he came to believe that, in fact, everyone is saved. Thank you so much for taking some time to be with me today. It's great to be here. Pleasure, absolutely. Great. Great. All right. So first, I want to hear a little bit about the congregation, about All Souls, and about you two. So tell a story about how you two got acquainted, since you would have been moving in other uh, other communities, uh, I would think, than the ones that you're moving in now. Yeah. So when I came here in 2000, Carlton was leader of a major church here in the city for a couple of decades. It was the, the only really significant interracial congregation evangelical, non-denominational, Pentecostal roots called Higher Dimensions, Family Church. Mm -hmm. And he became onto my radar when we were interviewed in the news about George W. Bush's faith-based initiatives And in 2000. And he was asking, uh, he wanted to divert money to religious institutions. They wanted Mm -hmm. to know whether we thought this was a good idea. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a terrible idea. And he was speaking on, on behalf of it. And so the first time I saw him was on the news arguing against me. Of course, he was much more uh, glamorous and well-spoken. And uh, I said, wow, this guy is he's sharp, and I want to meet him. And so we began on the opposite sides of the aisle. Right. He right. wanted to meet me, and I wanted to beat him. 
<laughs> medium beating, so we had we had a happy fifty percent. <laughs> okay, so how did your relationship develop after that initial seeing each other on television and getting to know each other? I don't know when we met after that, but I the the first I remember knowing him was not that particular TV program, but but when I came out as a radical inclusionist and that all people would ultimately be in heaven and then I stopped believing in hell. That was closer to, of course, Universal. So this church mm-hmm. who gives their Sunday morning mm-hmm. offerings away, and I'd never heard of that in my life, mm-hmm. sent us an offering. Huh. And, uh, we were right. losing everything. I had, our offerings had dropped, you know, right. tens of thousands a week. So I got an offering from them, and then I called him, and I, we got together for lunch, and I started picking his brain and found out that this church and its doctrines or dogmas or they don't have either, I guess. Their credulous belief system uh, really, really touched me. And it, it bordered more on what I was doing as, as a Christian universal. So we started hanging out. Next thing I knew, we were here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were a few steps in between. And, and that was, the two that stand out for me was I, I lost my family. We lost our child, a three-year-old daughter, back in 2006. And that night, about... 10 o'clock at night, I get a knock on the door, and it was Carlton, and he came in, and he ministered to me and my family. At that point, we, like you said, we'd been hanging out a little mm-hmm. bit, but didn't mm-hmm. know each other that well, mm-hmm. but when he came and ministered to my family in, in the worst day of my life, uh, that made a, an incredible impression, and I think it deepened our bonds. Then, when Obama was running for president, and Jeremiah Wright got in trouble right. with all the right. media, right. and all right. that craziness was happening, right. I did a sermon about why Jeremiah was right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that went viral. And I got a letter back from Jeremiah Wright himself saying, thank you, he, he's, he shared the sermon and all of that. And so when we were having lunch, I told him about the letter, and he knew Jeremiah Wright. And that really, in that conversation, that was the conversation at lunch that you said, maybe I should bring my church over to all, I should have brought it to all souls instead yeah. of the Trinity because yeah. we would, we'd be, you guys are looking to, to build a multiracial congregation. And he offered a spot here. Uh, we were a church without home. We had lost right. our property right. home. So we came in and began to, in their summer period, when they don't have an 11 o'clock service, or, mm-hmm. we, we took it. Mm-hmm. And we were one o'clock down at Trinity. We came at one at eleven here, and his members started coming. Okay, the Unitarian okay. Universalists came to every service, almost as in high numbers as we were. So I got really interested, and it felt very good that we could work together. There were no philosophical, really not very many theological differences, and so I thought this is a great place to plant and park uh, as a, as a ministry. And then I had an opportunity to go to Chicago, and I didn't want to leave my church pastoralist, right. so. This man just fit the fit the docket in every way, and the longer we hung out together, the more I realized uh, this was all souls. But it really wasn't all all souls. It was all white souls, all rich souls, all mm-hmm. middle toast mm-hmm. souls. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to add that to that allness a more universal diversity, mm-hmm. and he was a hundred percent open to it. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of was mm-hmm. a hand, hand in glove for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was that was an incredible moment for for the church. So all of a sudden, that had, at that point had almost ninety years of history, and it was predominantly white. I mean, almost all white, mi- middle class professionals, typically with uh, higher education and that kind of thing here in Midtown, a pretty mm-hmm. pretty fancy neighborhood in, in mm-hmm. the city, mm-hmm. to all of a sudden have an influx of a couple of hundred African-Americans who have a Pentecostal background, worship in a very different way with a different liturgy and music. It was exciting. And so when Carlton said, 
at the end of the summer and I said, hey, we're going to have to start up our 1130 service again. What time do you want to worship? You know, later on Sunday, Saturday night, we were going to figure that out. He said, you know what? I'm going to dissolve my congregation and my wife and I are going to join all souls and we're going to enroll our children in Sunday school and I'm going to invite my members to do the same thing. And so that was the beginning of something incredible Mm -hmm. Um, and it had high highs and some low lows as Mm -hmm. well because uh, the excitement was there for a few weeks but pretty soon people started to realize wow it's real different around here Uh and that that brought up (laughs) that brought up some tensions and conflict as you can imagine right martin marty wrote a book i think called uh, a nation of behaviors he said it's it's not so much doctrine that divides christians in america there's a number of years ago now there are a lot of things that divide us these days but not so much doctrine as it is behavior Mm -hmm. Uh, so do we raise our hands and worship or right. not uh, is a bigger deal for most people than how you say the Lord's Prayer. Or, that's right. Or, 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 that's right. That's right. Than and theology. It, and, it were, and just to say, there were, there were so many different factors. There was uh, issues of class and theology, liturgy and culture, race, sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things were at play. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just one dynamic or another. Right. And so, uh, you know, some of the African Americans, we had an out lesbian minister at that time at our in our mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. and for some of them, that was just a little bit further than mm-hmm. they could yeah. than they could go. They were ready to go mm-hmm. as much as Carlton had had prepared them for mm-hmm. that openness mm-hmm. around around same gender loving families to have a minister. That, you know, they weren't all ready. So some people left because of that. You know, some of my folks left because he said this doesn't feel like a Unitarian Universalist church anymore. You have people. You know, really praising God and raising their hands in the air as they do it, and there's drums and all kinds of things. Heaven be through organ. So, it, so some things changed uh, around here, and and it uh, it created uh, quite a ferment. Do you know of any parallel or or, or uh, uh, similarly aligned type congregational experiment in the United States? I don't know of any that that would that have brought together. Uh, Unitarian Universal that far into the, the the progressive liberal spectrum mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with some with a Pentecostal background and then with the on top of the racial. Right. I know there have right. been some congregations around the country have come together around race across race, um, but usually of the same denomination mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that, or at least mm-hmm. very closely aligned mm-hmm. theologically. So I think I think in some ways this is pretty far out there. Yeah. It's an experiment. I would say a successful one because we've lasted. How many years has, has so that, this been? That was 2008. So that was the uh, summer of 2008 is what we're talking about. And now we're here we are in the really fall of 2019. Yeah. So not a flash in the pan. No. 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 There might be something real here. That's right. That's what it feels like. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the reasons why uh, All Souls caught the attention of the producers of the movie. So let's get in the movie. But before I do, I need to full disclosure... Uh, the seminary I've served for over 20 years was intertwined with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, our professor emeritus of New Testament, Brandon Scott, was on screen often uh, relating New Testament scholarship to contemporary expressions of Christianity. And the pastors of the other congregation prominently featured, Mayflower Congregational in Oklahoma City, are both Phillips graduates. Um, and we awarded Marlon an honorary doctorate a few years back. So mm-hmm. we do have connections with this movie, mm-hmm. which made me particularly proud of it and proud of those connections in the way that they were played out. But let's describe what this movie was about. So I would shorthand it this way, and I'm going to invite you to do the same. In the midst of a religious ecology here in Tulsa, 
um, that has grown some of the most powerful conservative Christian institutions in the world, both churches and schools, there are yet vital expressions of liberal religion. And here in the uh, documentary were some of their stories. So how would you each describe what the movie was about? You know, I think that's progressive religion in the heartland of the United States, the reddest of the red states, a, a state where uh, Obama never won even one, <laughs> one county, county in two elections. Um, you know, here you have these these progressive churches that are that are thriving, and uh, and I think that's a that's an interesting story because when people think of this flyover country of the United States mm-hmm. and the Bible Belt, they don't imagine that there's there's some real life theologically grounded uh, congregations doing progressive uh, social action as well as ministry. Right. If people have seen The Family on Netflix, which has strong Oklahoma connections, mm-hmm. and you think, well, that's Oklahoma. Right. This is not. Or, mm-hmm. But it is. Mm-hmm. Well, American heretics and heretics in America would be two different things, you would think. If you were just doing American heritage, you'd probably be doing L.A. or New York or some of the extremities, not in the center of the country. This is like heretics in America heretics in mid-America. Mm-hmm. The further mm-hmm. you get away from the coast, mm-hmm. the more conservative the fundamentalists the people tend to be, mm-hmm. particularly in the South. So um, I was so involved in the, the main fundamentalist Pentecostal charismatic, Oral Roberts was like the godfather of the movement. Mm-hmm. And so I was like a, a protege, one of his sons, and here we had our big television ministry, and I had a huge conference that I hosted here of mostly African-Americans coming in. The Azusa Conference, The Azusa right? Conference coming from all over the world. Ours was the largest in the city for, for a number of years. Hmm. And so um, it's, a, it's a major shift. I never would have expected to be called a heretic. <laughs> that's... That's, I guess that's the way I'm going to die now. Instead of Bishop Carlton Christian, the man of God, the apostle of God, and all that kind of stuff. I'm a her- heretic and a son of a bishop rather than just a bishop. And so it's a fresh wind. And I think that that this is the city where the new expanded way of thinking, may, even that Oral Roberts at one time went to Phillips, uh, Phillips Seminary right. when it was in right. Enid. Right. I wouldn't have ever made the connection. Mm-hmm. Here you are now in Tulsa. And my affiliation with him, my connection to him, and to the university, I was on their board of regents and all that kind of thing. So I think um, the movie is stunning. Its message is powerful, but it, that they're centering on people in the middle of America. Right. That That's what sets it apart. Right. If this was Boston, yeah. you know, this is not as much news, yeah. it seems right. to me. And another thing, really, Carlton's, his spiritual fathers, Oral Roberts, and the spiritual father of this congregation, Dr. John Wolfe, mm-hmm. those two gentlemen were contemporaries, and they were sort of titans of, of, of two different sides of the yeah, religious sure, battle here sure. in the cultural wars of, of Oklahoma and the United States, and that played out very, you know, very profoundly here. So the fact that the next generation, the two of us, have come together and are collaborating in our ministries, I think, is a sign of, of real hope for... And one of the real sensitive... Mm-hmm experiences of the Oral Roberts legacy and family was that his eldest son, who was gay and ultimately committed suicide, found his refuge and solace in this church, the only church in town where he felt that he could come. And we, who were associated with Oral and the family and the university and institution, felt resentful and suspicious, and but probably more curious. What was it about this place that made a man we love so much, who had all these degrees, he had three PhDs and seven wow. languages or something like that, and we thought he was gonna succeed his father. Mm-hmm. Some people thought he was gonna succeed his father. Some people thought I was gonna succeed his father as, mm-hmm. his, as he called me his black son. 
So the unity of us, of him finding solace here, and then me, another one of our sons, later finding solace here <laughs> with my whole congregation, mm-hmm. said something about this church mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. consciousness that we hadn't ever considered plausible. That's in itself is a story worth Oh, yeah, I never heard so you. Interesting. Yeah, say it that way. That's interesting. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you know how they came up with the title? Why American Heretics? I kind of get the politics of the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, the the subtitle part of it, but why American Heretics? So what I first thought, well, that was kind of a bait and switch compared to what I thought they were <laughs> they were doing when they came here. I started wondering what angle they took on the movie, and then I watched it and I realized it's a little sneaky. I think that. People think of us, Unitarian Universalists, or, or what, what Carlton's done, as we're these heretics who are not following the strict, literal uh, interpretation of the Bible. And yet, you know, it, by the time I'm done watching this movie, I'm thinking they're making the case that a lot of these Southern Baptists and Evangelicals could be argued are the heretics because of the way they're interpreting and, and using the Bible, in, especially in politics. Oh, I think the way that the Republican Party has colonized the Christian right and the Christian yeah. right has colonized the Republican Party is a whole lot more heretical than right. anything we're talking about here. Right. right, and I think that's what I think that's ultimately what they're, what they're trying to say, and so it's a, they kind of flipped... The, the script in a way. Yeah, which is consistent with the way Brandon Scott teaches about the New Testament too, that you know, that this is this is Jesus against the Empire, uh, but somehow the Empire takes over Jesus and presents yeah. uh, him as their own. How did this congregation get involved? In the in the, in film, the film itself? Mm-hmm. You know, the directors came out, they they'd heard about us at some point while they were here in Oklahoma and they just came out to interview me and, and I sat right here in my office and we talked for about an hour and afterward they said, We think we're gonna include you in the film, but we'll get back to you and let you know and they called me up one day and said we'd like to bring a team out here and interview you and some of your members and we said, Great. And so I think we were sort of late in the process. I think they'd already huh. started the film before we became on board and as I watched the film, I thought it, it might have had something to do with the racial dynamics. I mean, that's an important piece mm-hmm. of their the larger story of progressive religion and its hope and its possibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that they mm-hmm. they saw what we're doing as uh, as a nice companion to what they were doing in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. A connection that they're not aware of is that when I first came out as a universalist, one of the first churches I was invited to was Mayflower. I didn't know anything about United Church of Christ. I knew more about UU than UCC. Even though I had friends in UCC like Jeremiah Wright and Bishop Flunder, who is an openly gay pastor in Santa, from my denomination, a black female who I helped consecrate mm-hmm. to the bishop. Mm-hmm. She's openly gay and was married to a lady who sang Oh Happy Day with the Edwin Hawkins mm-hmm. family, which mm-hmm. is my denomination, Church of God in Christ. I go to Mayflower on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and there's a young couple sitting looking like little hippies or something, no shoes, no shoes and socks on, sitting out in front of the church. And one stands up and says, almost calls me unk I said and it was Randy Potts who's Earl's grandson hmm. his hmm. youngest daughter's hmm. son and he was married at that time later on came out to me as a gay man and wanted to know about his uncle who died and was here at this church Ron and now Randy and it's like there's this, there's some kind of synchronicity that puts us all together in my language in a divine mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. so there's Robin whom I adored and still do, and and uh, this young man who later said, "Can you help me tell my grandfather who I am, and get to meet my grandfather? Not meet him, but meet with him before I, he dies, which I insisted he do." 
uh, it was just a beautiful coming together of me hooking him up with his grandfather, whom I spent three and a half hours with, trying to convince him that his gay son, who committed suicide, wasn't in hell, but had been in hell before he committed suicide, mm-hmm. in his consciousness, mm-hmm. and found heaven here mm-hmm. at All Souls. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm not just coming here, I've literally merged to this church of my children, mm-hmm. who remember more about All Souls than they remembered about New Dimensions. Wow. Because yeah. they were old enough to understand what mm-hmm. you were teaching here. Mm-hmm. And uh, my son is still impacted by my daughter. This church helped sh- shape the thinking of my children in a way that I thought mine would. Religion around here is a lot more complex than people give it credit for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this Absolutely. is really interesting. Talk to me some about the audience reactions to the film. And if those audience reactions, as you've been around various places in the country, have varied based on where you've been. You know, local reactions... Uh, Versus those who, you know, are truly surprised that this exists in Oklahoma. I mean, I'll just say that there's been an overwhelmingly positive response. People have had great questions. They're very curious about Carlton. I mean, his story is so compelling. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of questions about him and how he ended up here and what this is like for him and how his life is going. And so, uh, but I just, I found that, that a lot of people don't know that you can be, still be a Christian or a church going person in the mm-hmm. United States mm-hmm. and hold progressive values and be open to gay and lesbian and transgender people and, and a lot of the things because Christianity has become and church in general have become so associated with the religious the last right 40 years. that people don't a lot of people don't even know that you can you, you that religions like this right. I, religious expressions like this exist and I've met so many what I call recovering fundamentalists as mm-hmm. I got out of those circles mm-hmm. and began to move more among the liberal thinkers or the progressive thinkers or the expanded consciousness, new thought type people who still love God, follow the teachings of Jesus, and many love the transcendence of Pentecostalism. They love mm-hmm. the Holy Ghost and they still, mm-hmm. still speak in tongues shout, but they, they don't want the dogma on, and some of the doctrines they've actually mm-hmm. thrown it out. So they're, they're reviewing, revising, not uh, rewriting, but re reading the scriptures mm-hmm. and finding mm-hmm. a different relevance. Well, mm-hmm. the things that universalists have been thinking and doing for years, this isn't new to them. Mm-hmm. They, they were already mm-hmm. in their this broad, uh, more progressive appraisal of truth, scriptures, a much more intellectual and sane, less superstitious approach. Mm-hmm. That appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm finding that the biggest growth is going to come from fundamentalists, especially after this this next election and the evangelicals' full backing of Donald Trump, there's a group of them that are leaving the fundamentalists are just saying, I don't want anything to do with it because I'm finding something out about us that I didn't mm. believe was mm. us. Mm. And that these family values, uh, moralists, are, have embraced somebody that doesn't believe in repentance. I hope you're right. And says, <laughs> yeah, me too. It's something that I think is interesting, just as much as Carlton talks about how much he appreciates the intellectual traditions mm-hmm. of this congregation, mm-hmm. what what's I've really appreciated about what he's brought in, his music director, Pastor David Smith and others, is they, they have an a, understanding of the transcendent and, mm-hmm. and the experience mm-hmm. of a tra- almost trance experience that can be created mm-hmm. in worship when mm-hmm. it's done in a particular mm-hmm. way. And so there's an experience of the spirit, mm-hmm. an experience of spirituality that, that, that Carlton and, and his tradition have brought here. And that's created a very interesting balance to what we're doing. There's a mystical 
transcendent, mm-hmm. transcendental mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of experience so mm-hmm. that it's taken us out of the intellectual. So some of our folks come for the intellectual, sure. uh, you know, get to the point and give me something to chew on all mm-hmm. week that I can mm-hmm. think about mm-hmm. theologically. Mm-hmm. And others now are coming because they want to experience the holy and they want to come and experience it for an hour, 90 minutes and, and walk out feeling differently than they felt when they came in and really going away having had a real high point spiritual experience that can help carry them through uh, the rest of the week and to be able to offer both of those things is for me just a a dream right quite astounding what have you learned in the process of of doing the movie and then participating in all of it seeing it seeing yourselves reflected back in 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 a way and then uh, the audience reactions as Mm you've processed all that what have you what did you what did you think you learned or the congregation may have learned in the process of participating in it the one thing that comes to mind for me is just we have been saying all along what we're doing is something significant in American religious experience mm-hmm. that there have been, you know, really there hasn't been this kind of, these two expressions coming together, this much diversity making religious community together. And so what we're doing is something that is important and, and potentially can have an impact on religion in American life. And so we say that, but it's kind of like hearing it from us is like Mm -hmm. singing your own Mm -hmm. tune. Mm -hmm. But to see that there's people coming to movie theaters to Mm -hmm. watch what we're doing Mm -hmm. and they are taking interest in it, writing about it Mm -hmm. in the New York Times, Forbes, you know, the Daily Beast and other things, you realize, wow, congregation members and even us are sort of like, yeah, it it really is true what we were saying. There is interest. It's not just an echo chamber. It's not just an echo chamber, exactly. And the movie, it awakens or at least makes people aware of a stagnation in the culture that we didn't realize was so anti-growth or progression. People who would have just not paid that much attention to the presence of heretics or heresy in the culture Mm -hmm. see it brought out and amplified Mm -hmm. and enunciated in a way that we just sort of would have taken for granted because a lot of them, I have a lot of friends in Chicago who went and of course we were in New York was in, it was DC together. Mm-hmm. I have friends in both places who saw the movie who didn't take the, the difference that seriously, but when they saw it, they saw how awkward and and almost cultic fundamentalism is. It, anything that suggests that is the only way or the right mm-hmm. way is almost stupid. I mean, people are saying, gosh, I didn't realize how, how obnoxious we have been. I didn't notice it. I used to think that Dr. Wolf was obnoxious. And I got over here and I thought, geez, he's, he's really making a lot of sense. And Oral knew it and I knew it. We were intrigued. I used to watch him preach. Mm-hmm. And I, I was saying it was wrong because I was supposed to say it was wrong, but something in my knower <laughs> knew that it really wasn't that stupid that I was being stupid in my reaction to it. So I think it was a, it's a wake-up call and that all of us are much more sensible than our religions allow us to give us permission mm-hmm. to be. So the movie, even though I was in it, I saw me and progression uh, as very, very valid and not demonic. I stopped demonizing expansion. I stopped demonizing uh, expression, mm-hmm. including mine. Mm-hmm. I just I think that there's a there's a softening, just like the glaciers are melting and the the, the ice is thawing out. Religion has been cold and frozen and fixed for a long time, and it's. The global warming, even though it may have been triggered by unhealthy practices and science or whatever, I think religion is thawing too. And, of course, water is a metaphor for spirit. I think there's a spiritual awakening and a thawing and a, a ruach. The wind is blowing anew and afresh. 
and the millennials are picking it up. They're looking in the cloud. There's, I preached a sermon years ago called mm. The Cloud is Moving. When the children, most of the children of Israel was pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. Right. I think the cloud, not the crowd yet, the cloud is moving. We've been following the crowd. And I noticed that the cloud wasn't where the crowd was. And I left the crowd, my crowd, mm-hmm. and started following this new cloud, which includes technology mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. science mm-hmm. in spirituality and progression. It's I'm really fascinated with it in a way I've never been before my whole life. Marlon, are, are you as optimistic as he is? Or hopeful as, as, as he is? Carlton, I want what you say to be true. Yeah. And I'm so afraid there's so many toxins have been dumped in the soil of American culture. Yeah. Um, not all by this president. He They've been around a long time, but man, he has brought attention to them and given them new strength and, and the like. See, my fundamentalist people are believing that prophetically God put Trump in. And oh, I'm yes. saying if God did, it's only to, I call it a great coming out party for all the haters on the down low. He's, hmm. he's, he's hmm. shown, a, a he's lanced a boil that has been in in this country for a long time and, and the, the profuse and somewhat profound uh, odors are coming out of it and we're realizing this this stinks, this is not good. Just like the movie is jarring some people's mm. lethargy or uh, apathy. Okay. Uh, it's like, wow, we need to we need to change. But I don't, it's not saying some somebody like Marlon who's always been changed, he's always been progressive. He's Unitarian Universalists and progressives and the UCC, they've always been social justice oriented and humanitarians and things like that. We haven't been the, the, the fundamentalists. The real move is among that group. Mm-hmm. They're embarrassed, but they're not mm-hmm. going to say it. Now, they still talk to me privately. Mm-hmm. They defend what they believe, mm-hmm. but they're saying something's really wrong. Sound like members of Congress. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, a Republican. You know, well, yeah, the GOP right. is just like they're they're not blind. They're just blindfolded. I think our culture, religionists, are not blind. They just it's like the alarm is going off, and they're awakening, and they're pushing the snooze button. Mm. Mm. Sleepy people who are used to the slumber and don't want to wake up will push the snooze mm. button. Mm. Eventually, you have to get up, and I'm. I'm into that eventuality. Again. I'm just thinking that I, I take the long game. My optimism comes from the long game. I, I okay. think about this, you know, the book, The Third Reconstruction, and how every every move for, towards mm-hmm. progress has mm-hmm. had a backlash. And mm-hmm. I feel like we're in the backlash. Mm-hmm. But I think in the long run, just looking at who the millennials are, what values they have, uh, I, I believe that this change is going to continue and we are going to move in, in good directions. I, however, I think what's paramount is that folks on this progressive side have to be able to represent religion in a way that makes sense to these young people in these new generations because they're not interested in the old wineskins but what kind of new wineskins can we create that they can hold the vibrant spirit that they that they are bringing and that wants to come alive in the world i, I mean if, if you think about f- how freedom has unfolded in human history, those moments, you know, f- you know, whether you're talking about Moses and the Israelites leaving Israel, or you're talking about the Christians trying to get their freedom to, for religion, or you, the anti-slavery movement, or the gay rights movement, but freedoms unfolding has continued, continued to happen. Liberation has continued to unfold, and I think that we have to just continue to 
bolster the spirit of, of liberation and freedom wherever we can find it. And I think that's where God is. I think that's where the holy, if we're looking for the, where's the holy? People say, Mom, where's the holy? And where is God alive? I say, look for where freedom is coming into being and where it's being, you know, unfolding into life. That's where God is. That's where the holy is. Not, not with the Christians who are persecuting the scientists, but with the scientists who are struggling for the freedom to, to find the truth. Not with, the, you know, not with those who are trying to persecute uh, the Jews, but the, the freedom of the Jews as they were escaping into freedom. So wherever freedom's unfolding, that's where I think the holy is, and I'm still optimistic about it. Well, that's great. What a wonderful statement to kind of conclude on. I do want to ask uh, if listeners want to know more about the movie or arrange a screening in their own congregation or community, how do they do that? They will go to AmericanHereticsTheFilm.com. So AmericanHereticsTheFilm.com. And then there's all that information on the website. And is there any more progress, do you know, on on getting this to a streaming service or or commercially? They've told us it's going to happen, but I haven't heard where it is right now in that process. Good. Marlon Lavenhar and Carlton Thank you so much for spending time with us today on Committing Faith in Public, which you all do very well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. This has been Committing Faith in Public, a podcast from the Religion and Public Life Initiative at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Copyright PTS and Gary Paluso-Verdend. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect an official position of Phillips Theological Seminary.